That's the title of the message tonight, Listening to the Accuser No More. We've just been told we're sons of God. He comes to question our identity. He comes to distort our identity. He comes to distort the image we have that God has placed on the inside of us, that we are sons. And it's time we stop listening to the accuser. Listening to the accuser no more. Not saying that looks like anybody. Because that would be an accusation and we're not to listen to the accuser anymore. Devil, I'm not listening. Amen? I don't want to give any focus to the devil tonight, but the Bible says it's important that we are not unaware of his schemes. And he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of the people of God. He accuses us day and night. But the amazing thing is, he has no power. All he has is suggestion. All he has is a voice. And if we choose to listen to that voice of accusation and condemnation over the voice of a father that says, as Alan explained to us, that we are sons and we are heirs, that's when he can get into our lives, if we listen to his voice. But I I believe we are a people that don't want to listen to the enemy anymore. Amen? Turn with me to Isaiah 54. I'm going to put one of the scriptures up there. We're going to look at a little bit more of the passage in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. Thank you, Jesus. Just want to read a few more verses from this chapter. Verse 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my loving kindness shall not depart from you. Nor shall my promise of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Isn't that amazing? You know, this is written just after the prophecy about Jesus as the suffering servant, all he would do on the cross, all he would do for us in his cross and his resurrection. And this is the next chapter after that prophecy about Jesus on the cross. And the outcome of that is this promise This covenant God has made, a covenant based on love. And it goes on, it says, if you just, uh, if you've got your Bible and you have turned to it, verse 13, it says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Verse 14, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble together, but not because of me or not by me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall. Verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in accusation you shall condemn. This is the heritage. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. God steps into the moment Satan accuses you and he says, excuse me, the righteousness they have is not their own. It's a righteousness that was bought by the blood of Jesus. They're right standing with me. The very fact that they can walk into my presence without any sense of shame, guilt, dare I say it, all inferiority. 
They can walk in my presence like that is because of what my son has done on the cross. Because his blood was shed, because he made that sacrifice so that you and I could stand in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, it talks about the fact that he became sin. Literally became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He took on all our sin. He took on our sin identity. He took on our fallen identity on himself so we could receive his righteous identity. This is powerful stuff. This is worth praising over because it's so true. And if we can get hold of this, if we can, as the promise is, if we can be established in our righteousness in Christ Jesus, we'll not be moved by accusation anymore. We'll not be moved by accusation anymore. We'll not, let me say this to you. We'll not be moved by the devil rehearsing and reminding us of our past anymore. We'll not be moved by it. We'll not be intimidated by it. We'll not be those that lose courage over the fact that he tries to rehearse the mistakes we've made and the sins we've committed and the things that we've done that we're not proud of. That for God is not just forgiven, but he has chosen supernaturally to forget it. Forgotten. It's not that God has got a bad memory. He's chosen to forget it. So that we can walk before him as his children and enjoy fellowship with him. So the accuser comes to try and stop that. He tries to isolate us from God and from each other so that we're not effective for Jesus. God wants us to not take on accusations that the devil would give against us personally, against us as individuals, but also not take on accusations that he tells us about other people as well. Because all that sort of thing separates us from the loving God we have. It separates us, not because God turns his back on us. Let me say this to you. God turned his back on Jesus, so he will never ever turn his back on you again. It's not that God turns his back. It's that because we decide that that we're not good enough, we actually turn ourselves away. God's still right there. He isn't moving. He's going to be constant towards you. But because sometimes we entertain these accusations, what happens is we turn away. Because somebody uh, you know, preaches a real good uh, legalistic sermon on uh, how the wages of sin is death, we sometimes get condemned. The amazing thing is, there's another part to that verse. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated our sins from us. As far as the east is from the west, that's a distance I can't measure. But he separated us from our sins. The Bible says blessed is the man whom God has forgiven his sins. You are blessed because you're forgiven. You are empowered to succeed in life because you're forgiven. But the enemy doesn't want you to succeed in life and therefore reminds you of the things you've done wrong. Reminds you of the thoughts you've had and the desires you've had that don't line up with the scripture. You know the enemy can even use the scripture to accuse you. 
That doesn't mean you don't read the scripture, by the way. But he can use the scripture. He can try, try and twist the scripture. That's why we need the scripture and the Holy Ghost. That's why we need the scripture and the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will testify and witness to us that we are children of God. No matter what the accusation is, we are still children of God. Amen. You know, I got really excited in preaching in Leeds this morning. I'm just carrying on. I hope you don't mind. Okay. Isaiah... This is Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 6, 31. We've looked at this before. I don't apologize for looking at it again because I think we need to get this into our heart, not just into our mind. Into our, and we don't need to just mentally assent to it, but we need it in our heart. This is from the King James Bible. It says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all, after all these things do the Gentiles seek, or the godless seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need of all these things but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you therefore take no thought for tomorrow for tomorrow shall take thought for things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof notice that phrase I've highlighted it take no thought saying the enemy wants you to take every accusation he has against you and not just Start to think about it, but start to say it. Start to say it over yourself, over your family, over each other. Because there's power in words. The power of life and death resides in the tongue. So he hasn't got any power. He hasn't got any authority. But he wants to use you as a mouthpiece to destroy yourself and destroy other people. Why does he want to use you? Because you have the authority in the earth. That's why he wants to use people. He doesn't have, he's been stripped of all his authority through the cross of Jesus Christ. But when we allow him to usurp the God-given authority we've been given, by agreeing with what he says and speaking it forth, then he starts to exercise oppression, which is authority over our lives. And I say no more listening to the accuser. Anybody agree with me? Take, don't take one of his thoughts. Can I suggest to you that any thought that you have of evil, any thought that you have of fear, any thought that you have that's negative about somebody else, it's not your thought. Well, it's in my head, Jeff. (laughs) No, no, it's not your thought. Because you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And therefore you've been reprogrammed to think thoughts after God. And therefore, any thought that's in your head that's of good, that's lovely, that's wonderful, that's joyous, that's uplifting, that's building, those are your thoughts. Because you're the righteousness of God. You're a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. Those are your thoughts. And any thought that's in there is a thought that we don't take hold of because it's not ours. We own our thoughts based on the identity we have. So if we believe that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I'm not going to own a thought that I'm unworthy. I'm not going to own a thought that I'm a failure. I'm not going to own a thought that I'm, that I'm, not, I'm the tail and not the head. I'm not going to own those thoughts because I'm the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Amen? And therefore God wants us to own the thoughts that he has about us. Own the promises he has about us. What Father says about us. What Jesus says about us. And as Alan shared that beautiful scripture from Romans 8. We are sons of God. Turn to somebody and say I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. Amen. 
Hebrews 2 verse 1, if you've got your Bible and you want to turn there, Hebrews 2 1 says, give careful attention to what God says about your great salvation and wholeness. There's a warning, there's a, a charge, if you like, in this scripture to give it, to not neglect this wholeness, this great salvation, to not neglect it, to give it careful attention. We're not playing games with the Christian life. We're not playing, playing games with God. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do amazing things in our generation. We're here to bring restoration. And as God starts to restore our hearts so we can see ourselves the way He's made us as the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, what will happen is that we will start to give attention to the right things in our lives. We'll start to give attention to the good things that God has placed as the promises in His Word into our lives. And it will bring about wholeness and salvation. It's possible to do it. One accusation is, I can't think good thoughts. One accusation is, I'll never change. It's all a lie from the pit of hell. You can change. You can take on the thoughts of God. Because you are designed to do so in His blood. And in His creation. 1 Timothy 4.6 declares that words of faith spoken and good doctrine declared is nourishment to the inner man. When you start to speak the word of God over yourself, when you start to speak the good things that God has promised, maybe through words of prophecy over your life, when you start to speak that stuff, it nourishes the inner man. It makes you strong on the inside. It makes you strong of spirit, strong of soul, and strong of body. Amen? Amen. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus taught on the parable of the sower, and he said that there are three things specifically that choke the word, making the word unfruitful in our lives. The first one is the cares of this world. This is one area in which the enemy comes in to make accusation and make comment and make temptation and and ask us questions that bring us away from the heart of God. The cares of this world... I want to believe what God says and I want to walk with Him, but I've just got so much on right now. There's so many things that try and crowd in, but they make the word unfruitful. Number two, the deceitfulness of riches. Time and time again, I've seen God turn people's lives around to the point where wholeness starts to come in their life. And even prosperity and even financial prosperity comes in their life. And as soon as that happens with some people, we never see them again. I remember a friend of mine, a a Christian minister who was an amazing man of God. He's passed away now. But an American businessman came to him and said, I believe that you have the blessing of God on your life. And I just want you to pray for me. I've just recently come to know Jesus. My business is failing. Would you just lay your hand on me and just pray for success in what I put my hand to do? So this guy did it. He was uh, just full of compassion, so he prayed for this businessman. This businessman, just before he laid hands, he said, I want to tell you a promise. If, if I become rich, I will give you a million pounds. A million dollars it was. I will give you a million dollars for what you need to do in your ministry, in your church. I'll give you a million dollars. So, prayed for him. That guy became a very rich businessman. In fact, for some of his time in this life, he lived in a massive house in Nab Wood, not far from here. Very, very rich man. Had houses all over the world. You know what? He never gave a penny into that ministry. Amazing, isn't it? But you know what? Even though that didn't happen, 
My friend was rich anyway in God. And it didn't stop him doing what God had told him to do. The deceitfulness of riches come in. I shared at the Hope College on Jesus' teaching from Luke 12, I think it is. And I shared on the fact that we are more than the sum of the things that we possess. We are more than the sum of the things that we possess. We are of much greater worth than the things we possess. Do not define your life by the things that you have or the things that you possess. You are defined by His love for you. Amen? Amen. Number three, the lust of other things. That There's sometimes a, a sense of desire in us for other things instead of for the pure Word of God to make us strong on the inside. That we get distracted to other pursuits in life. And some of them may seem okay. But I believe that God is calling us to seek first His kingdom. And his righteousness and all other things will be added to you. To put him first. That God be first in our life. And I believe if we put God first, that means we listen to God before anything else. There is a practical example of how to put God first. Listen to what he says in his word. Listen to what he's saying in terms of preaching and teaching and prophecy. Listen to the word of God. Because that shows that you put God first in your life. Not just listen to it. But apply it to your life. Apply the fact that you are not unworthy to your life. If I hear any of you call yourself unworthy, I'm going to apply the word of God to you right in that moment. Then say that you are not unworthy. You're the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. The devil's accusations taken into our hearts also can make the word unfruitful. I want to look into a passage of scripture in the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bible and you want to turn to there. If you don't know where a certain book is in the Bible, the best thing to do is go to the contents. You know, when you read a book, or you, most books have contents. The Bible has a contents as well. So if you don't know where a certain book is, it's there. I'll, I'll put the on the screen here. But it's important that maybe you look at your own translation or your own Bible as well. Nehemiah was a man who was called of God to restore that which was broken. And restore a people group and restore a temple and restore a city. These are all pictures of what we are called to do as God's children to bring about restoration. The Bible says everything that was written in the Old Testament is there for our instruction. So we're going to read a bit of this account that happened all those years ago. Nehemiah was... Uh, a, a powerful man in a place of exile but he had this yearning to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city and he was doing that he took a band of people with him and he started to rebuild the city he started to do amazing things then the enemy came in with accusation verse 1 of chapter 4 says this but it so happened when Sanballat heard this is one of the enemies heard that we were rebuilding the wall. It's interesting, Sambalat's name is similar to Moon God. Anyway, I thought I was interested. But so happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews, which were God's people. He spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. 
Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down the stone wall. This is a lot of accusation, isn't it? When you start to build in your life the promises of God and when you start to build it as a community together, the enemy will throw accusation at you. I remember a lady who, who left the church I was involved in in Coventry and I saw her several months later and she said to me this, she said, you know, since I've left your church, everything's fine. Oh, well, thanks for telling me, love. <clears throat> Everything's fine. I've got no persecution. I've got no, I've got no problem. I don't feel any accusation. I, I'm just enjoying myself. But the issue is when you start to build with other people, as Nehemiah did, that's when he comes in. Because the devil knows that if he can isolate you on your own and you're not part of community, then you're no threat really. But when you start to find, when we start to find one another in community together... The Bible says this, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. There's an exponential growth of the anointing and authority you carry when you and I work together. So these accusations were coming against the people of God, against the, those that were leading this rebuilding and this restoration. Five areas are listed in that scripture. Five areas of our lives where Satan uses accusation to attack us. The first area is this. He attacks us in the area of our identity and our behavior. What are those feeble Jews doing? The devil does not play fair. There's nothing about you he likes. Because you belong to God. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. We don't have to fear the powers of darkness, but we have to be aware of how they operate. Amen? Amen. And he goes for our identity and our behavior. He goes for these particular things and he he looks at us and, and he says, you are not what God says you are. Look at what you have done. That's the accusation he gives. But I want to say to you that God does not judge you On the basis of what you have done. He judges you on the basis of what Jesus has done. Just say that again. God does not judge you on the basis of what you have done. He judges you on the basis of what Jesus has done. But won't we all stand before him and give an account? Absolutely. We'll give an account for what we've done for him. In this life. And will be rewarded as a result. We don't stand before the great white throne. And get judged either to go to heaven or hell. We're already living in heaven now. Already, a, When I read my Bible we're already a citizen of heaven now. Oh Jeff I don't agree with that. I I, well whether you do or not. God love you. You're a, we're a citizen of heaven right now. But he attacks our identity and he attacks our behavior. The second area of attack is he attacks our motives for doing stuff. Remember David, man after God's own heart, he goes to the battle to give his brothers bread and food because they're, they're working so hard doing nothing. 
Remember, they, they, they're sat there while Goliath is taunting them. That's hard work, isn't it? So he had to bring a full basket of picnic for these brothers. So he was in good faith doing that. And then he says, why are you guys not fighting this giant? God's on your side. What do they say? We know your heart. We know your motive. You just have to glory for yourself. Sounds like a lot of religious people, huh? It's not about glory for me. It's about glory for God. Well, you know what? David was a man after God's own heart. Why should this Goliath be taunting God's people? Why should he be mocking God's name? I'm going to do something about that. But the accusation was his motive was wrong. I remember being very, very nervous. One of the first preaches I ever did. I won't tell you which congregation it was in because you'll, you'll know people involved but <clears throat> I remember being so nervous about speaking that I was, I was, I was puking up before, before speaking I had many of these spiritual moments of going to the loo and looking like I was walking out the room with a message from God but I was going to vomit <laughs> and um, <clears throat> just was really nervous about bringing this word and, I brought, and, and God said to me, just, just in my heart, before I brought the word, he said, don't just bring a word, bring a demonstration of my spirit. So before I started in the scripture with the word that God had gave me, which was really precious, I just started to move in words and knowledge and call some people out and pray for them, and, and God was moving. And um, <clears throat> the senior leader of the church, when I'd finished doing that, got up and said, Father God, I thank you that it's not about Jeff, but it's about Jesus. He listened to me. That devastated me. Because I was trying to do what I felt Jesus was telling me to do. I know it's not about Jeff, it's about Jesus. But when Jesus asks you to do something, and somebody says it's not about Jeff, it's about Jesus, you kind of get a little bit upset about it. Because you're trying to do what Jesus told you to do anyway. And that sort of judging of people's motives from a from a condemnatory, accusatory element, is a symbol of orphan-heartedness, which the devil personifies. He wants to be a son, but he could never be a son. He was never designed to be a son like you and me were, and that's why he doesn't like us very much. Remember the older son in the story of the prodigal son? He says, this young son of yours, who's been going around with prostitutes, who's been living life in such degrading manner, and here I am working for you, he didn't even know what the son was up to. He made it up out of his own heart. But he was judging the son's motives for coming back. He was judging the father's motives. And that's what the enemy does. He'll judge your motives. But you know, the Bible says this, even when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. And God knows you. Better than anybody else. And God knows your motives. Amen. So don't let him accuse you. He says, are they going to restore it from themselves? That's the accusation that came. Are they doing what they're doing for their own glory? For their own prestige? For their own wealth? You know what? That's kind of just a ridiculous statement. Because really, if we were to follow Jesus for our own glory... How ridiculous is that when he's already given us his glory? So our motives are accused. Next one. 
The integrity of our relationship with God is accused. Can they offer sacrifices? Are, are, they, are, are, are you really good enough to have a relationship with a holy God? Yes. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Because that's the accusation that comes, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, have you noticed that <clears throat> when these accusations come, or when these temptations come to fall to the devil's lies and the devil's accusations, it's, it's in those moments when you're tired. It's in those moments when you may be having a hard time. You know, the devil waited 40 days of Jesus not eating and not drinking when he was very weak to come and tempt him. He wouldn't have dared to do it in the first few days because Jesus is much too strong. But he waits to his weakest moment to come and tempt him. And that's exactly what the devil does with accusation and with temptation. He waits to the time. That's why we need to have a good sleep. That's why we need to rest. Because he'll come at those moments when we're tired to accuse us, accuse our motives, accuse our integrity of relationship, accuse our identity. The fourth area, he accuses our ability to accomplish the mission or project God has given. And he can even use scripture against us. Well, have you counted the cost of this project? Have you really counted the cost? Because if you haven't, it's not going to work. You know, you can almost sometimes, when you're about to do something grand for God in life, or you're about to step out in a fresh way for God, prophets of doom come in. And they've, got this, they've, got this, they've got this sound. It goes, oh, I wouldn't do that. Wouldn't do that. Wouldn't attempt that. I've seen that you'll fail. And then if it doesn't work, they say, see, I was right. Where's the love of God in that? Our ability to accomplish the mission. When I read the Bible, it says, He began a good work in you. We'll accomplish it till the day of Jesus Christ. God is able to make us succeed in life. God is able to make us succeed in what He's called us to do. And therefore, don't listen to that area of accusation. He says, can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble? They were accusing their ability to finish the project. The other area of accusation, he accuses the quality of our work. Maybe the quality of your work in the job and vocation that God has put you in. Maybe the quality of your own devotional time with the Lord. The quality of your evangelism and outreach put little accusations in well that person won't come through that person won't do this it's all accusation that is from the pit of hell can I just say to you when somebody receives the gospel it's too late for them the Bible says that the gospel is the imperishable seed of the word of God so when it goes in regardless even even if initially it seems that they're not accepting it it's imperishable seed and it will come forth at some point in their life. We are those that go and sow the seed of the gospel. Amen. It will come through. I remember a guy in evangelism. I went around with him in Moss Side in Manchester doing evangelism when I was a teenager. That was quite scary to be honest. <clears throat> but he used to say to these guys. And one particular guy we spoke to. This big guy. And he was involved in in. in, in and the gangster set up there and we were speaking to him. And this guy was a little guy, you know. And he looked up at him and he said, it's too late for you. It's too late for you. 
Because the seed of God's word has got in your heart, even if you don't agree with it. You know, that guy came back a week later. We did it every Saturday for a season over summer. That guy came back and he said, you know, I used to be a youth pastor in an Afro-Caribbean church in, in, in Mosai. And I went into, into the gang. But I just couldn't get away from what you were saying. I want to hear more. And this guy started sharing the word with him and brought some kind of restoration to his life. We don't know who we can touch just with the word of God. And that's the enemy tries to make the accusation against us. Oh, it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't do any good. Oh, it's such a lie from the pit of hell. The word of God is imperishable. The word of God is powerful. And it does have an effect. Amen. So don't let him accuse the quality of your work in any area of your life. I'm just going to fast forward because of the sake of time to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah and the people, they just disregarded all these accusations. And then in chapter 6, just as they're about to complete the project... It says, now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem said to me, saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm, so I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work, so that I cannot come down to you. Why should the work cease while I leave it to go down to you. Have you noticed there was a descent here to be yeah. with these people? Yeah. Can I suggest to you why, do you, why should you leave your citizenship in heaven and descend to listening to the accusation of the devil over your life? You are doing a great work. By being an ambassador for Christ in this earth, you are doing a great work. Don't, don't descend to deal with this fallen angel and his accusation. Don't descend to deal with that. Ignore it. Resist him. Submit to the word of God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. He will flee from you. Resist him. He will flee from you. And get on with doing the great work that God has called you to do. Would you stand with me please? We are doing a great work. We are God's great workmanship. We don't have to listen to the accusation of the enemy anymore. Father, I thank you for all the wonderful people in this room. Thank you, Father, that they are righteous before you because of the blood of Jesus. And I am righteous before you because of the blood of Jesus. Father, I ask that you would take us on now to continue doing a great work in every area of our lives. And Father, give us the wisdom to hear your word and to follow your voice as our chief shepherd and ignore the accusation of the enemy. For no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every accusation against us will come to naught. That's our inheritance in the Lord. And I proclaim it over every single person in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Let's just give God a praise right now. Thank you, you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Well, I'm going to close the time together there tonight.
I'm so sorry, but we're going to do that because, Aww. yeah, oh. <laughs> but uh, I just really appreciate just the great time in the presence of God. Can I just say one thing in conclusion, that <clears throat> I just felt that in my own prayer, God was saying to me that we just need to get back to some of the stuff that we started when we started this evening, uh, nearly a year ago, at the end of April, it'll be a year, and from the first Sunday in May, right the way through, we're going to focus again on healing and on uh, praying for the sick and on teaching on that sort of stuff, uh, on emotional healing, on bringing freedom to people. Uh, we're going to just focus on that for a season from the first Sunday in May. So it would be great to have you involved, but also prayerful as we do that. Invite people who need to be healed and, and, and we can lay hands on them and see that happen. So from the beginning of May onwards, we're going to do that. Before that, we've got some great things happening on a Sunday night. One of the guys that's coming in to share on a Sunday night in May is Dr. Lalith Mendes from Sri Lanka, who was here last year. Uh, he'll be doing a healing meeting amongst us, and there'll be others as well. But uh, I just want to felt in my own heart, we'll get back to that. But I, I, I'm just excited about what God's going to do. So have a great evening, be blessed, and um, have a wonderful week. Amen. Amen.